Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss political ads and pitching. Pitching has been a hot topic over the past year with the introduction of the Pitch Positive Pledge, aiming to make the process more efficient and less detrimental to the mental health of those involved. A bit later on, we're going to take a deep dive into pitching, how the process has evolved and whether the pledge is having an impact. But to begin with, we're going to discuss political attack ads. In the past week, the Labour Party has run political ads on social media that allege Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is soft on child sexual abuse cases. There are several iterations of these ads with dubious claims about Sunak um, featuring his photo and signature, some that target the non-dom tax status of his wife and the Conservative Party's track record on crime. Now, these sorts of tactics have been used by the Conservative Party and Brexit campaigners to great effect in recent years, but they are surprising coming from a party that is led by Keir Starmer. Starmer has framed his political brand as that of a safe pair of hands and decency, who would not resort to the type of gutter politics that these ads represent. To discuss this, I'm joined by my colleague and campaign reporter, Shauna Lewis. Shauna, how are you going? I'm going good. Thank you. Right. So let's talk about these ads. I mean, what is your response when you first saw these Sunak ads? Um, I think, well, they made me stop. Um, that was my my first thing as mm-hmm. I was doing my, you know, standard Twitter scroll. Because, um, I mean, that's the first place that I saw them. But I think obviously people will see them elsewhere. But I saw them on Twitter, whereas I see so much. I don't know, controversial, so many controversial things. I was kind of like, oh, another one, here we go. Um, But I think like they do make you stop and think. And then obviously with the kind of like, then it's like kind of like the wider implications of it, of like Keir Starmer's kind of built this brand for himself. Mm. He does keep saying no more Mr. Nice Guy. So eventually maybe this is finally, he's gone, no more Mr. Nice Guy. But um, he has kind of like built a brand for himself and someone was like, well, there's no way that he's not seen these ads and like signed them off. But I don't know. I don't know how much, how much would he, would he have seen? He would definitely have signed. I mean, you would think so. You would assume that he would have some sort of sign off or some some influence in the process. Um, I can't imagine these ads would be done behind closed doors and all of a sudden he gets shocked by seeing seeing the the content and the the nature of these ads. I mean, I spoke to a couple of industry experts this week, Shauna, um, about these ads. Warren Johnson, who's the founder of W Communications, described them as a new direction for the Stam brand, which is the point that you made a few seconds ago. He also questioned whether they'll be effective. Uh, Mark Borkowski, the founder of the communications firm Borkowski, reckons the gloves are well and truly off and it will be interesting to see whether the Sama and Sunak personalities can live up to these sort of tactics. Um, also, Sean, within the advertising industry, Marie Saatchi, the founder of Saatchi Saatchi and MNC Saatchi, uh, wrote a piece for the Daily Mail um, basically saying that he's not so much against the use of negative tactics but he believes the execution of these ads are distasteful and may damage Labour's chances of regaining power. Now, Maurice is obviously well known for his work um, running political campaigns. He ran the Labour Isn't Working posters and campaign that helped Thatcher get into power in 1979. So I guess there is there is two interesting parts here. It's, is one, the tactics, they, they, you know, do they work? Are they effective? And two, the execution. Thank you so much for joining us, Shauna. Time will tell whether these political attack ads work or backfire. Shortly, we'll be moving on to pitching. I'd 
I'd like to welcome our guests, David Inder and Nagmer Taheri. David is the Chief Executive of the marketing consultancy IDCOM's Advisory, which has managed some of the largest pitches, including media reviews for EasyJet, Burberry and Centrica, the owner of British Gas. Uh, Nagy, as she is known in the industry, is the Chief Business Development Officer of Publicis Media. Um, Nagy, you've had a pretty decent run of pitches, haven't you, in the past couple of years? Yeah, no, we've been uh, we've been really happy uh, with the progress we've made. We created our team, our centralised new business operation in 2021, and since then, yes, we've we've done well. Have we done any pitches in, involving ID comms lately? We have. We've had one very recently, haven't we, David? Um, yeah. <laughs> very, very recently. So I think it finished about. I think uh, we were involved until about three weeks ago, okay. three or four weeks ago. How would you assess their performance, David? Be honest. I thought they did very well. Um, they uh, it was a it was a slightly uh, innovative process that we had, and uh, one of the core components of the process that we ran was an integrated workshop with the client and with the agency teams, and uh, a lot of good thinking came through that, um, and I think it provoked the client in in a lot of ways, uh, but I think culturally. In this particular instance, what the client needed and wanted was another another agency. Fair enough. Now, David, um, IDCOMS recently released a white paper that looked specifically at media pitches and the sort of changing requirements and needs of clients during this downturn versus the last one we had post the global financial crisis. Can you take us through some of the key findings and themes that you've identified in your white paper? Yeah, um, I mean, we we set up IDCOMS uh, in the middle of the 2009 recession. Um, and so a lot of the, the big sort of seismic events that were influencing the marketplace at the time uh, had a big influence on the reason that we set up IDCOMS. But there were, there were three big shifts at the time. The first was, then this was 2009, so going into the big global recession. The first was that the big holding companies were getting more and more dominant through acquisition. Uh, and so more powerful and mm-hmm. their ability to uh, aggregate media spend and drive kind of cheaper pricing was beginning to to become far more attractive to, to brands. That was the first observation. The second observation was the media was only going to get more complicated and confusing, right, for many advertisers uh, with media fragmentation, the onset of, of kind of digital marketing. Uh, but the third observation that we had at the time was that in preparing for what was going to be a global recession, what many brands did is they took away the responsibility of media management from marketing and the the advertising and the media teams within the organization. And they gave responsibility of uh, management of that budget and the agencies to procurement because they saw their biggest cost item uh, on the balance sheet uh, as an opportunity to to be managed rather than invested. And at the time, and this has changed significantly, but at the time, procurement leaders in many organizations, frankly, didn't have the capabilities or the skill sets to make informed decisions, we thought, uh, in such a kind of complex and nuanced marketplace. And so we, we felt at the time that, that you know, if we could create a, a, a marketing consulting company that could provide guidance to brands at a time where things were even more complicated with um, internal stakeholders that perhaps weren't capable of making those kind of right decisions, we felt that we had a business. And so uh, the onset of procurement within organizations was a big catalyst for IDCOMS. And that actually drove uh, a number of media pitches for the next sort of 10, 15 years that frankly, and, and Nagy can kind of testify to this, were driven by cost. You know, the, the need for businesses to secure cheaper and cheaper media pricing uh, 
became an addiction of the marketplace. Now, if we fast forward to you know, the, the economic climate that we find ourselves in the moment, uh, marketing organizations are far more sophisticated than they were then. Uh, procurement leaders within organizations are far more uh, uh, educated and informed and sophisticated in the way they operate around media. The way that they collaborate with marketing functions is far better. And also the ability of many advertisers to secure hard savings is shrinking as more and more of their media investments go on to auction-based marketplaces. So 15 years ago, what we found uh, was, was that most, most pitches, and certainly for the, the next 10 years, were cost-driven. What we find now is that they're far more strategic in their design and in their requirements of their media agency partners. The, the three things that businesses want now more than anything else is talent. They want to have the right talent because that d- delivers direct competitive advantage. They want to have a surgical understanding of who their consumer is. And, and Nagy working for Publicis uh, is working for a business who made the biggest bet in marketing communications history in the, the acquisition of, of Epsilon to help businesses understand their consumers better. But importantly, what they are wanting is they want to know where the next big bets are. So where's the sources of growth? Where, how can your agency partner help uh, provide better understanding as to where those big investment, media investment bets should go? Whilst price is still important for many advertisers, it is not the most important thing that we find in pitches. Whereas for the last perhaps you know five, six years ago, it certainly was. Let's, I want to bring you into the conversation, Nagy, because you've been around, you know, in your sort of business type roles for a number of years now, and you've sort of seen it evolve. You've worked for all of the whole codes aside from Havas. Does what David said sort of chime with your experience and how, how it's evolving? Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, also we've had COVID as well. So I think that's another thing that we've had um, between obviously 2009, 2023. Uh, what I would say um it is a cons- price is still a consideration, right? And if we look at the beginning of this year to now, the number of global pitches that have been coming through, we've had more global pitches so far than we had this time last year. And a lot of those global pitches are driven still by value, right? So they're trying to drive value. Um, and we get these aggressive pricing targets as well. We still get it, right? Mm. But it's much less of a focus. And David is right. Um, it's much more strategic now pitching. Um uh, marketing procurement is uh, more joined up with the marketing team. I'm seeing that as well. They were quite disjointed back in uh, you know 2009. So there definitely has been a shift, um, which is a good thing for us. Um, but with you know it's, we're yet to sort of see what's going to happen towards the end of the year. All I'm seeing is so many global pitches so far that are coming through, um, and we've still got the you know two or three year cycle of pitches that are coming up. Um, you know, every two or three years, the pitches are up again for pitches. Mm. That hasn't, um, hasn't changed. changed much. Why, why do you think that is, Nagy? Why do you think there are so many more global reviews this year um, than there have been in recent years? Um, do you know, I'm not sure. Uh, it could be uh, a consequence of COVID and people delaying their pitches for two years. And then obviously, once we were through that period, you know, kickstarting that, I'm not sure. But um, Certainly, that's an observation I've made for the first quarter of this year is just the number that have come through. Mm, okay. David, what about your thoughts on why there's so many more global reviews? I mean, is that, is that what you're seeing as well in the market? I think that there are, there are two big marketplaces at the moment. So you've got Europe, which I think is still fairly quiet. It's a soft market in Europe. I think many, many advertisers are still cautious 
about the economic headwinds. Uh, they're not making or they're postponing decisions. They are waiting to see what kind of happens. The, the US, however, is, is a hugely buoyant uh, pitch market at the moment. And so where, where we find those, those businesses that are, have headquartered in, in the US, they seem to be far more active in terms of global media reviews. In Europe, less so. Uh, what we tend to find, certainly from the clients that we're working with, is that businesses are more open to uh, renegotiation with their existing agencies to recalibrate the position, to update the remuneration structures, especially if if the relationship is fairly solid. So rather than having the knee-jerk reaction of going directly to competitive tender, which is disruptive and expensive for everybody, uh, we're finding more and more pitches in Europe pivoting to a recalibration of the existing relationship improved terms into improved talent position um and but i think you know if there is a, a an influx in global reviews i think it's as, as nagy said it's cyclical i think i think covid uh delayed a lot of reviews that naturally would go into the marketplace and i think that's a that's an overflow of of and a consequence of that but i also think that there are businesses where where businesses are still looking to drive costs and and i have to say you know many of our clients uh are perhaps are still slightly more progressive when it comes to to looking at media as a as a growth driver rather than as a as a way of just extracting value from from the marketplace but where businesses are still driving forward on pitches that are cost driven it is because they see that opportunity of securing significant uh price reductions shrinking as more of their investments move to programmatic platforms and 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 trading platforms where it has no respect for scale you know essentially you're buying media on ebay right it doesn't doesn't respect scale but whilst those budgets are still fairly chunky in terms of offline media channel and, and advertisers still see the opportunity to secure hard savings, then they obviously want to sort of go to market quite quickly. Uh, perhaps that will change in the next two or three years. I think it will, by the way. Okay, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you would think with an economic downturn, obviously all companies will be reviewing their supply costs, if, if you like. Um, and you, I would have thought there'd be quite a lot more procurement-led reviews going to market well i think i see i think that's where the 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 distinction between uh consideration for this pitch market versus 12 13 years ago is different so i think Mm. now what and again I, i i'm referring to more progressive sophisticated advertisers here their two key concerns are minimizing wastage and optimizing effectiveness whereas 12 years ago it was about driving efficiency find me the cheapest media price Find me the lowest uh, agency fee or commission level that you can squeeze out of the agency and and kind of everything is good. I think that has changed. Now it's about reduce my wastage. I don't want to have any wastage within my system, but actually let's try and see how my media investment can be disproportionately more effective. Okay. Is that, is that what you're noticing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely hmm. right. That's the key consideration. That's the pitch. Essentially, the pitch brief is demonstrate to us how you would optimise our media budget um, and drive efficiencies. Um, and, and, and that's what we're seeing across a number of pitches that we're getting. Okay. Uh, last year, uh, ISBA and um, the IPA launched the Pitch Positive Pledge, which you know, aims, amongst many things, aims to make the whole pitching process more efficient, 
um, and also much easier on the people involved. Um, I'm very curious to get an update. It's almost been a year now. Uh, what sort of impact you've noticed the pledge having? Um, in practice. Nagy, let's start off with yeah. you. Um, so it's only been a year, almost mm. a year since um, since obviously it was developed. Um, I have seen a change. I have seen that pitch processes have shortened in length. Um, the, I'm talking about pitches primarily from intermediaries. Um, those ones definitely, we've seen they're shorter in length. Uh, the written submission that we were always asked to do, which was always a lengthy thing, and it would take a lot of the focus of the pitch team uh, and their time, uh, we're not getting, often we're, we're not asked to do one anymore, which is amazing. Uh, so the focus is very much on the strategic response and the pitch meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely shorter, which is really good. The other thing I've noticed is the debrief that we get at the end of the process is a lot more thorough than it's ever been. So, uh, and we get, we get feedback throughout. Where I think it's, it hasn't perhaps been as impactful is when we get pitches from clients direct where a lot of them are signatories, by the way, of the pledge. Um, but those processes are still long, lengthy. You know, you've still got loads and loads of deliverables. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's been positive in that respect. And for me personally, having been in BizDev, I think it's the first time, actually, actually is the first time in my career that the industry has come together and recognised that, we need to change behaviours and mm. actually the impact on, on well-being of staff is actually crucial because that's never happened before. And, you know, we've been pitching forever and late nights in the office was normal and burnout was normal. So I think it's positive that the industry have got together and launched this. And um, I think that we will see that it's refined and we'll see um, iterations of it as we develop. I think there are things in there that I would like to see, for instance, which I, I think will, will be part of it in the future. And I hope it will be. And we'll see that actually people do adhere to it more. What, what's been your observation, David? What sort of impact do you think the pledges had, if, if, if at all? I think it's had a very positive narrative in the marketplace. I think advertisers are going into pitch preparation with a more considered, respectful kind of way of operating. I think that's good. Um, are there some bad actors still in the ecosystem? Absolutely. And you're never going to change that. Uh, what I do think actually has had the biggest significant change, and I'm not sure whether this is a, a direct consequence of the pitch positive pledge uh, or just the marketplace, is, is agencies being more discerning and selective in the processes that they involve themselves in and the duty of care rightly that they have to their teams and their staff. And so what we find as a, as a company that helps advertisers connect with agencies is that we encourage our clients to work very, very hard at the beginning of the process to make sure that they communicate uh, the type of client that they're going to be to that agency. They, to communicate the type of behaviors that they're going to exhibit if that partnership was to, was to succeed. Um, and and it's actually the agencies themselves that that are that are then selective that choose which pitches they go after because there's only so much resource there's only so much time you know the the teams of, of Nagy's having to work with uh, have available and so uh, the the selectiveness of the agencies themselves I think is forcing certainly the, the media clients that I refer to. And I think perhaps the, the challenge is, is far more acute within the creative 
uh, and production and PR industry. But within the media sector, uh, I think they are forcing the clients to be better clients and to design and manage better processes because they know that the agencies won't put up with it, quite frankly, and, and rightly so. That's quite an interesting observation, isn't it, Nagy? I mean, when we had a chat before this pod, you did mention how, you know, even at Publicists Media, you'll be involved in, in reviews, but there'll be quite a number that you turned down. Yeah. Yeah. So last year, we turned down 50%. And I think that's, that number's going to increase. I mean, we, we, are, we want to be selective. So we absolutely want to pitch for the clients that we think are right for us. Um, and I think part of that, we, we have our own qualifying scorecard, which we've developed, which incorporates a pitch positive pledge. And we refine that all the time. And what we don't want to do is go into a pitch situation if we feel that that brand's not right for us or if we feel the process is wrong. Uh, and we're not afraid. I think the other thing, David, that um, I think has happened is uh, agencies are not afraid of withdrawing from pitches. So, you know, you might start a process and absolutely be committed, but you may find as you're in the process that actually this isn't the right uh, client for you or it's not the right process, whatever it might be, and you withdraw from there. And I'm not saying it's something we should do all the time. We're encouraged, but I think it's only when we know more about the client, what the scope is, and all this stuff that comes up as you are in the process. So I think we're seeing that as well. But I do think agencies are being more selective, and I think that's a good thing. And I think all agencies should be. And having a scattergun approach to pitching, which we used to have, many, many agencies had, is completely the wrong thing. Mm. You've got a really interesting structure, don't you, with Publicity Media? Because you're sort of like a centralised team. So in 2021, we created a centralised team, business development team, which will be responsible for all new business and prospecting for the three main media brands, which is Spark, Foundry, Starcom and Zenith. Um, and that's for the UK. So, uh, you know, everything we do from the qualifying of pitches, we do across the three brands, which is the same process, uh, essentially. But we know, obviously, each of the cultures, of the brands are quite different. So again, as part of that qualifying, it's, you know, which, which is the best fit for which brand. Um, and uh, as I say, that, that, that the process that we've had is a new thing. Uh, and, and the way that we work is very different as well. So uh, we, from the start, we have never, ever encouraged weekend working on pitches. We haven't encouraged working late into the night. I mean, I've I spent years having three hours sleep and living in the office and having deliveries. And, and, you know, that was normal. That was normal in biz dev. We want to move away from that because for us, retaining our staff is paramount, keeping people engaged, you know, encouraging other teams to want to get involved in new business is key. Mm. Um, you know, there's a fear, the slight fear, actually, and there has been for many years, uh, where people would, would be fearful of getting involved in pitching because it would mean the late nights and it would mean, you know, the... Uh, potentially not winning and all that and the the impact that that might cause. Um, so we've tried to eliminate that. And I think, um, I mean, certainly in two years, we've only had one person who's moved to another role within publicists. So we haven't had any people leaving, which I think is is great. Okay. You made an interesting point um, when we were discussing pitching before the pod about how there are still some areas you'd like to see improving. Yeah. I think one of the ones that really stood out was transparency. At the beginning. Uh, yeah, at the yeah, beginning. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is particularly for incumbent pitches, so where we're incumbent. Um, obviously, uh, you know, pitch, sometimes it's, it's a government client, whatever, it's a statutory, and you know you've got to go through the process. But often we really don't know when we enter it 
why it's up for pitch. Um, so we have this direct dialogue with the client and obviously we'll try. But I think the transparency about our, you know, it has to be a level playing field. So if the incumbent is invited to a review, it shouldn't be a courtesy gesture. So it shouldn't be because we're the incumbent, we're invited. It should be a level playing field so that we've got equal chance to win this client. If, for instance, the client is looking, the advertiser is looking for change, sometimes it's quite difficult to tell an incumbent agency that actually they are just looking for change. They want new. Um, we should know that because we will step away and that will be one less pitch. And I think the, uh, the, the intermediary and the incumbent agency, they need to work together to have that view from the beginning. And I'm not sure we're there yet with this. Yeah, interesting to hear your thoughts on that, David, in terms of transparency. How easy is it to get, to get a client, for example, to be very upfront about the real reasons why they might be reviewing their agency relationship? I've never had any problems at all getting a client to be really transparent and clear. I mean, you've got to also remember, and I, and I completely sympathize with Maggie's perspective here, but from a client's perspective, you know, these pitches are, can be quite long, three, mm. three, four, five, six, sometimes if they're global, eight months long. And their core objective, their primary objective throughout all of this, while still trying to find a new agency solution, is to protect their own business over that period. And it can be a difficult decision to uh, encourage your incumbent agency not to participate in the process in the knowledge that you may not have a committed agency working on your business, delivering business as usual for a lengthy period of time. Okay, so that is, that is a, a natural concern. Um, but the reality of the situation is that where the it should be very difficult actually for the incumbent agency uh, not to to really succeed through the process. Okay, unless the relationship is is untenable, unless there is a a clear breakdown in that relationship, in which case you should know as the incumbent mm. agency. And you know what, you walk away, and we have a we have a review that's going on in North America at the moment where the incumbent agency decided not to participate for the right reasons. And it was an open and very adult conversation with the client and the agency CEO, and they decided not to, but they made commitments to, to maintain as good a, a business relationship and business as usual as they possibly could. And so going into that process was, was because the incumbent agency knew that they couldn't win. In most other cases, where the client is looking for something, a nuance, a, a slight reinvigoration, or they have a new CEO or a new CMO that's come in that's looking for a new positioning of that marketing relationship, then the incumbent has every right to win. And actually, given the legacy understanding of that business, should be in an advantaged position than the non-incumbent. But in answer to kind of the transparency question at the beginning is I would ask, what we encourage within our processes is a, an initial top-to-top -to -top meeting where, and in many cases, this, this uh, supersedes the traditional RFI, which is deeply painful for everybody and nobody particularly enjoys going through an RFI process. But we bring in the, the senior leaders of, on the client side and the senior agency leaders uh, of the competing long-list agencies. And they have a 45-minute Chatham House Rules conversation. 
This is an opportunity for the brand leaders to understand culturally what the agency are all about from their leadership and also for the agency leadership to ask some pertinent questions of the client teams. What is your ambition for media? What role do you see your media agency in the future uh, playing in delivering against that ambition? What is your ambition for the pitch? What are the core components of the pitch? Who are the stakeholders? Who's the kingmaker within within this pitch process? You can ask these questions at the time. And if you don't feel that you're getting the right kind of answers or they're not honest answers, then at the end of that process, we encourage both parties to, to walk away if it doesn't feel right. But once you're in, once you've, once you've had that conversation at a top-to-top level, whether it be the incumbent or a non-incumbent agency, then you're kind of on. And you are, as a client, obliged to fulfill those commitments as you go through the process. Final question for both of you. Obviously, there's been uh, some positive impacts by the Pitch Positive Pledge and the way that the process is evolving. What's the one thing that either of you would like to see happen in terms of pitching and, and how it should evolve to make it even better? I'll start off with you, Nagy. So one of the things I think is a behaviour thing, um, which I've noticed, which I'd like to see uh, incorporated within the pledges. We've had pitches where, you know, the the key stakeholders, the key decision makers are not involved through the process. And it could be because they don't have the time um, to be. So they've got their teams in the room when you're pitching. I would like to see that every single pitch that we do, that we have the commitment of the key decision makers, the people that ultimately need to make the decision on pointing the agency. I think I'd like to see that. Um, and obviously, at the moment, this is a pledge. And as I've mentioned, we're seeing pitches from clients that are advertisers that are coming through direct to us and not adhering to this, to the to the pledge fully. I would like to see that, obviously, to happen. So I'd like to see them um, enforce it and to use that and obviously to change behaviour. Okay. David? For me, I think it's the obligation to conduct a thorough and comprehensive debrief, irrespective of you know, where in the process that agency has been unsuccessful and even a debrief to the agencies that have been successful as part of the process. I think it is the very least the client teams can offer to, uh, you know, in in regard to the, the level of effort, time and often significant investment that goes into the process. And I'm amazed when we deliver you know, uh, debriefs at the end of the process. Uh, and, and, you know, we take a lot of time going through the constructive feedback. So at the very least, the agency teams can take something of value from that process. Uh, and when we get feedback from the agency teams, peers of Nagis who, who tell me how unusual that is, um, I'm amazed. And I think that that is a, an appalling behavior uh, of businesses that have very little regard or respect for the process that they go through. That doesn't happen with, with many clients that we see. And I hope that there are fewer clients that, that do that. But that, that sense of commitment to delivering a comprehensive, thorough debrief, I think is really, really important. Fantastic. David and Nagy, thank you so much for joining the campaign podcast. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Also, a big thank you to Shauna and our producers, Navpal and Lindsay Riley. If you'd like to keep up to date with all the industry news, views and analysis, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. And if you enjoyed today's campaign podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your pods. 
On a personal note, this is my final campaign podcast. I am leaving um, the UK very shortly to return back to my home country, Australia. Thank you so much for your support over the past couple of years. It's been a real privilege to host this podcast. Please do join my colleagues next week. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>